Hear the word of God from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. This reading comes from the New Revised Standard Version and can be found on page 922 in the Pew Bible. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God. Well, I would like to uh, add my happy Father's Day to all the dads out here, to fathers around the world, to my father, to the fathers that are no longer with us, and the fathers that... uh, could use a little encouragement, we're giving it to you. So may we all even be better parents uh, to the world's children. But you know, as a father, or perhaps anyone, it's one of the hardest things ever, is to listen to the voice of one whom you love, who is wailing, who is crying, who is having a really rough go of it. Well, it was 15 years ago, but in my mind's eye, it was like it was yesterday. Clark and I were out of town, and his parents were watching our children, and it was the first week of school, and our daughter Abby was starting a new school. Sixth grade, hormones. (laughs) Sixth grade, everyone trying to find their place in the world, right? Make their mark. The phone rang, and the tears were gushing so violently that I think I had to wipe my end of the receiver. It was bad. But when she finally caught her breath enough, she told us the story. In this new school, there were new rules. And there was also a new cafeteria rule. And in this particular school, you would only have six students to the table at lunch. But at Ab's table, there were seven. 
So one girl, very popular, I'm sure, and knew a lot of people, said, oh, I know, I know. We will decide who gets to stay and who has to go by who is wearing the coolest shoes. Can you imagine? And then she began to inspect the footwear of all the young girls at the table. Nike, Nike, Reebok, Puma, no-name brand. Well, you guessed it. The no-name brand shoes were being worn by my daughter. And in that moment, all the other girls said, you have to go. And like many of us, my daughter burst into tears. Why? Because in that moment, her very personhood had been called into question. In that moment, she felt excluded and unworthy and less than adequate and incredibly judged. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever intentionally or unintentionally caused someone else to feel like that? I bet if we're honest, most all of us would have to say yes. Today, we are starting a new sermon series called uh, That's Not in the Bible. Why? Because we recognize that many of us, myself included, have thoughts about things that we have not, I have not carefully examined. Some of the points, some of the things that we have heard said so often and are so popular in our culture today that we repeat them and many times we repeat them enough we begin to think they are biblical. Some of the sayings are partially true. They're a little bit true. They're kind of true. I mean, Adam Hamilton's written a whole book on it called Half-Truths. And they sound so right that we wonder what possibly could be wrong with them. And some are incredibly well-intentioned and we share them as a way to give comfort. But however, sometimes those phrases, they make others feel excluded and unworthy and less than adequate and terribly judged like those sixth graders did 15 years ago. Will you pray with me? Oh, gracious God, may we hear your word of truth this day. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So first up in this series is Love the Sinner and hate the sin. That's right. You can recite that faster than you can repeat John 3.16. Mm -hmm. For God so loved the world. You remember that one, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Love the sinner and hate the sin. And it's not a totally bad saying, but it's not totally gospel truth either. And sometimes it seems that we take these popular cultural sayings as more truthful than things that are actually in the Bible. And sadly, we hear this particular saying being bantied around, particularly in the debate over the LGBTQIA inclusion 
And the United Methodist Church is solidly in the midst of that right now. This saying calls us to love people without condoning their sinful behavior, yet when we say it, we are making a judgment about another's behavior. But the main problem with this particular expression, this phrase, this Christian cliche, is that Jesus did not say it. Paul never wrote it in any of his letters. Moses didn't carve it on those stone tablets, and King David never sang about it either. So if love the sinner and hate the sin is not in the Bible, then we want to know, well, where did it come from? Most believe that its origins go back to St. Augustine, a bishop who lived about 300 years after Jesus, in a letter that he was writing to some nuns who were struggling with how to address sin among their sisters. In this letter, he asks them, encourages them to act with love for those persons, but hate their sins. And sin is defined as to miss the mark. Harmartia is the Greek word. It's like an archer is aiming at the bullseye. And when we miss the mark, when we go astray, that is sin. So sin is any thought or word or deed that is contrary to God's will. Now, I don't know if Augustine meant for it to become what it's become today. 1,500 years later, it has become a way for us to describe our dislike of someone else. Really, that's kind of how we use it. And then, in 1929, Mahatma Gandhi wrote an autobiography. And in it, he says something similar, but he doesn't stop with hating the sin. Listen to this. Hate the sin, not the sinner, is a precept. It's a guideline. It's a teaching. It's a rule. A precept which, though easily understood, is rarely practiced. And that is why the poison of hatred spreads in this world. It's rarely practiced, and that is why the poison of hatred spreads in this world. I don't know, but I'm fairly sure Gandhi was saying something like, wow, think about it. It's really hard hating the sin of another, another person who is of sacred worth, another human being made in the image of God without harming that person. And it's impractical for us to do it without having disdain for the other, without making them feel incredibly judged. And Jesus, he had a lot to say about judging. He wanted his disciples then and now to avoid being judgmental. I love you, but I hate the sin of those no-name shoes you're wearing. I love you, but I love you, but it hurts. It wounds us. It doesn't seem authentic when we say the but. It harms our relationship with one another. Adam Hamilton, pastor in Kansas City, said, Jesus' non-judgmental approach is what drew people to him. Remember that story of the woman caught in adultery? Now, let me just say, it was a woman caught in adultery. Now, it does take two to tango, but the way the biblical record is, it's a woman caught in adultery. John chapter 8 
And Jesus confronts a group of people who don't like the sin of adultery. And this is how Jesus responds to them. They were in the temple and Jesus was just about to start teaching them when other teachers of the law and the Pharisees came in and brought forth this woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they said, teacher, this woman was caught in the act. And in the law, Moses commanded that we stone such women. What do you say? They asked this in order to trap him and to find a way to accuse him. And Jesus bent down and started drawing in the dirt. And they continued to question him. And finally, he stood up and he said, whoever has not sinned, throw the first stone. And he bent down again and began to draw in the sand. Those who heard him went away one by one, beginning with the elders. And finally, it was only Jesus and this woman left and he stood up and he said to her, woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one to condemn you? Is there no one to judge you? And she said, no, sir, no one. Well, then Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. With forgiving love, with the incredible loving kindness of Jesus, he was able to nudge her, encourage her, put her back on the path of holiness. Christ's behavior is a model for all of us. Christ's way in the world is what we seek to follow, not judgmentally, but with kindness, with honor, with respect. Can you imagine what they might have said to her if Jesus hadn't been there? We love you, but we hate your sin of adultery. Smack. And the rocks would start flying, and the woman, before she was killed, would feel judged and condemned. I think this is how many people feel when we say, I love you, but I hate your sin. I love you, but I hate something about you. It wounds us, it hurts, and it harms our relationships. I love you, but I hate the way you gossip about people. I love you, but you really, I hate the way you drink too much. Wham! I love you, but I hate your sin of materialism. I love you, but I hate the way you don't care for the poor. I love you, but I hate your very personhood. I hate who you are. Double wham. One Methodist pastor in Lubbock, Texas put it like this, it is hard for you to feel loved when I am pointing out your sin. Rather, you feel judged and condemned. But here's the kicker. The real problem is that when I am focusing on your sin, it's hard for me to look honestly at my own life. So judging others is kind of a diversion. It keeps me from being aware of my own sinfulness and my own need to repent and experience God's forgiveness and grace. I begin to feel <clears throat> superior. I begin to think that I am better than you. Well, at least I don't have your sin. I mean, really. And Jesus said, do not judge 
or you too will be judged. When we are judging others, we forget that we are also under judgment, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So to support this phrase, love the sinner and hate the sin, scripturally, many of us turn to Romans chapter 12 that we read earlier. But let's remember that for the 11 chapters preceding up to this, Paul has been making his case about God's grace Justifying grace is available to Jews and Gentiles. It's available to all. And so after 11 chapters, he now begins the great therefore. Therefore, here are some implications about God's grace for the way that we should live our lives as individuals and as the community of faith. And he gives 23 separate imperatives We could preach 23 sermons on them, but we are not going to. But the first one is so critical, and it sets the tone. Verse 9, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to the good. Love, it should be shown without pretending. It should be authentic. It should be real. Hate evil. Hold on to the good. But pay attention here. Paul is not telling us to hate the sin in someone else's life. (laughs) Rather, he is telling us to hate the evil that we might be tempted to do in our own lives. Don't pretend to love. Don't judge. Just love. Love is the overarching paradigm of this whole passage Jesus said, love your neighbor and pray for your enemy. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, love. In 1998, Time Magazine hosted a big gala, a big gathering. It was their 75th uh, celebratory anniversary. And so they invited to this gala 1,100 people, many of whom have been on the front page of Time Magazine through the years. I mean, this was a big deal. There were people like the former president of the Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev, Bill Gates, Sean Connery, Sophia Loren, President Bill Clinton was there, and First Lady Hillary Clinton, and Billy Graham was there, and he was escorted by his daughter, Gigi. Billy Graham and his daughter sat at the table with the Clintons. Now think about this. It's 1998. It is the height of the Monica Lewinsky affair, scandal, and the impeachment proceedings are happening. Yet the conversation was warm and kind and gracious. Reflecting on that night, Billy Graham's daughter wrote this. In the limousine, going back to the hotel, Daddy and I were talking about how difficult it must be for the Clintons with so many Christians gossiping and judging them. His comment was, it is the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It is God's job to judge. It is our job to love. It is our job to love. Friends, yes, there is sin in this world, but I don't believe that our call is to love the sinner and hate the sin because I think that's nearly impossible to do 
without passing judgment and harming the sacred worth of another. But I think first we need to examine our own hearts, our own lives, our own actions, and we need to work together to change the places in our world where sin takes root and exploits others, where it hurts relationships and damages people. And we are called to let God love and forgive us, forgive our sin, and transform all of us to be more in the likeness of Jesus Christ. I pray that together we can lay aside our sin and judgment of others and with God's help seek to love one another humbly and graciously. Will you pray with me? Oh Jesus, we thank you that you came to offer more forgiveness than judgment. You came to show us the way, the truth, and the life, and to invite us to move away from sin. Thank you for showing your mercy and continuing to forgive and love us. Help us welcome people and love them. Help us not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And Jesus, help us to love our neighbor and thereby begin to repair the effects of our brokenness. We ask in your name. Amen. Amen. So friends, to continue our worship as, as a response to the word, let us receive our tithes, our offerings, our gifts, and our prayer cards. Thank you.